at some point in time, I'm sure somebody here used uh, this phrase growing up, that, 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 that the, the, the fight between two kids and on the playground or in the locker room got to such a point that I'm sure somebody here used the phrase, my daddy can beat up your daddy. Ooh, right now, for my kids, my poor boys, um, once they got old enough to be able to use that phrase, they, they were also old enough to realize that their daddy couldn't beat up Jack Squat. So, but, but surely somebody here used that phrase, my daddy can beat up your daddy, or my daddy plays ball better than yours, or my daddy eats better than yours. Or, let's, let's not keep going, because lest we, lest we bring up some bad childhood memory of, of, of yours, but the idea behind that is that as children, we love to know that our fathers are the best, and we even have rose-colored glasses on in, 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 in thinking that our fathers are the best and the most powerful. In this series, taking a look at Good, Good Father and taking a look at the, 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 the story of Joshua and the story of Israel taking over the promised land, we, we saw in the, in the first week that, that, that our father secures his children. And then the second week, that, that the good, good father is reliable. And then last week, we saw as, as, as God led them to, to cross the Jordan River at the, at the improbable spot right in the middle during, during flood stage, that a good, good father leads. And this week, we're going to take a look at the, the powerful father, the good, good father that has all the power in the world. We're going we're gonna to look at the story of Jericho. Now, for Christians, we've we've heard this since we were wee little tykes in Sunday school, right? That that that, that the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. We've seen sing songs about this. Now, if you've struggled with God and struggled with the church and struggled with the, with uh, Jesus, there's some questions, possibly, quite possibly, around centered around this story, and we're, we're going to try and hit those questions. But we're going to take a look at the story uh, of, of of Jericho. And, and the story of Jericho shows up in Joshua chapter 6. But we've got some pickups to the story uh, in Joshua chapter 5. And uh, with, a, with a weird little story that happens immediately preceding the whole Jericho story. And so Joshua chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 13, I, I encourage you to follow along in the, in the, in the, in the Bible app with our event. Uh, it, you can save this event. We've got a reading plan down at the bottom that you can ha have some follow-up scriptures that you can read throughout this week. Follow along a hardbound Bible. We're going to also try and put the scriptures on, uh, hopefully, right down there as well. If it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. You can follow along um, in, the Bible, um, in the Bible app. So Joshua chapter 5, starting in verse 13, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua approached him and asked, Are you for us or our enemies? Neither, he replied. I have now come as commander of the Lord's army. Now, this is the commander of the Lord's army. Now, the first chapter, God told Joshua to be strong and courageous. He is certainly being strong and courageous here. He is standing up to, to a figure of a man that, that when this man shows up in other places in the Bible, when this angelic-like figure shows up in other places of the Bible, other people faint. I can just imagine Joshua is, is seeing this man and he's standing up to this man with hand on his sword saying, are you for us? Or 
are you for our enemies? Joshua has some strength. Joshua has some courage. Joshua has some guts right now to stand up to this man that makes other people faint. But he's standing up and asking him a question. And it almost sounds like he's ready to go to battle with this man if he answers, well, he's for, I'm for your enemies. But how does this man answer? And who is this man? It says he, he addresses himself as, as the commander of the Lord's army, but the, the, the scripture version that I'm using, the Holman Christian Standard, kind of gives away who this person is. If you notice, are you for, our, uh, for us or for our enemies? Neither. He replied, those two are capitalized. This is what theologians, theologians call a theophany. This is Jesus, God in flesh, in the Old Testament. And here Joshua is being strong and courageous to God himself in flesh. But how this the commander of the Lord's army answers, I, I want that to help take some of the edge off any questions you have to this story. See, he says, neither. I'm not for you, and I'm not for your enemies. See, when it comes to God's power, God's power is neutral. To all outside appearances, God's power is neutral. See, if, if, if you've struggled with Christianity, maybe you looked at Christians as some, as some goody-two-shoes, brown-nosing, you know, to, 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 to God type of people. That God uh, uh, likes us because we just simply brown-nose to Him, and, and then He uses His power because, because we, we are just simply on His good side. Or maybe as a Christian, you think that that same thing is true, just in a different format that, well, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a goody two-shoes. I've brown nose to God, His power. I'm deserving of His power, and, and He just likes me extra because I am a Christian and I go to church. But to all outward appearances, God's power is neutral. One of the primary questions that people have surrounding this story and surrounding the story of the conquest of, of the promised land is how, can, how could God allow and even command the complete destruction of whole cities? Now that's a misnomer. God did not completely destroy Jericho and all the people inside of it. There was one family that, not, that was not destroyed. And the head of that family, not necessarily maybe the, the biological head of that family, but the spiritual head of that family was Rahab, a prostitute. Someone who on the outside, quite you know, frankly, kind of appears to deserve God's wrath, right? Well, she and her family was saved. Why? She had faith. And then as we'll look next week at a story, Somebody that looked like could not be touched by God would have his favor, would have God's favor on him and his family. He was judged because he lacked faith. See, God's power is neutral to outside appearances. You can be, you can be as far away from God as possible one moment, but if you have faith in the next, God's power changes. And then you could look like you have it all together. But because of your lack of faith, God's power is coming against you. See, when, when the people of Jericho 
looked out and, 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 and heard about the stories of God at, at the Red Sea and Egypt and all the stories that God did to, to take care of His people, one family said, I have faith in this God. And all the other families said, I'm going to dig in and I am going to fight against this God. It all was centered around the faith that they had inside, not the appearances that they had on the outside. Also, if I were to tell you that today there is a nation or a tribe that when they took over another tribe, they did everything they could to humiliate all the leaders and all the leaders' families and, and all of this. And then, and then on top of that, when they went into, when they took over a, a community, a nation, whatever, they took all the children and they, they either, they either uh, 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 sacrificed the children to their gods or they, they put the children in slavery or they put the children in a sex slave. And then, and then when they came in, all the women uh, of the city, they raped and pillaged the city and all the women and, and the women that, that survived, they would use them for, you know, whatever they they wanted to and they would use them as sex slaves and slaves and and what what would you what would you ask God to do of a nation or a tribe and it's probably not beyond that far beyond imagination to imagine this happening today what would you ask God to do of that nation of that tribe why would God do this he had spent centuries allowing this tribe to repent. And then, and then this nation, his people, his people of faith came on the precipice of, of Jericho. He commanded his people. I don't care what other nations do when, they, when, when you come up on a, on, a, on a city, you throw out a peace treaty to the city. Now, we don't see this happening in the story of Jericho, but God commanded it. Now, his people didn't always do what he commanded. But they usually started out doing what he commanded. His rules, his laws of war were completely merciful for that time, for that time period. Now, we may not understand them today, but they were completely merciful for that time period. They would have thrown out a peace treaty. One family took it and the rest said, we're going to dig in and fight against you. And with all this history of all of what we would consider injustice, take the worst medieval movie or, or, or show of war and times that by 10. This is what the people would have been doing. This is that time period. And here, God shows that His power is neither for or against any outward appearance. It's all about faith. All about faith, and we see that as we as we move into move into the rest of the story. Joshua bowed down with his face to the ground and worship, and asked him, "What does my Lord want to say to his servant?" See, now Joshua is not worried about if this this if this man is for him or against him. There's something there's something more that he wants out of this man. The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, "Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy." And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites, no one leaving or entering. The Lord, see how this change, changes? Uh, most of the time, when you see the angel of the Lord showing up to somebody, before that story is over, you see 
you, you, you stop seeing the moniker angel of the Lord, now you just see the Lord. The Lord said to Joshua, look, I have handed Jericho, its king, and its fighting men over to you. March around the city with all the men of war, circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horn trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the trumpets. When there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear its sound, have all the people give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will, will collapse and the people will advance, each man straight ahead. So Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and have seven priests carry seven trumpets in front of the Ark of the Lord. He said to the people, Move forward, march around the city, and have the armed troops go ahead of the Ark of the Lord. After Joshua had spoken to the people, seven priests carrying seven trumpets before the Lord moved forward and blew the trumpets. The Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. While the trumpets were blowing, the armed troops went in front of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard went behind the Ark. But Joshua had commanded the people, Do not shout or let your voice be heard. Don't let one word come out of your mouth until the time I say, Shout! Then you are to shout. So the Ark of the Lord was carried around the city, circling at once. They returned to the camp and spent the night there. Then they did exactly as the Lord said. They circled the city for six days, and on the seventh day, uh, they circled it seven times. But see, Joshua didn't focus on who this man, come to find out it's the Lord here in the Old Testament, who this man was really for. Why? Because there was a bigger thing that Joshua wanted. See, God's power is with his presence. And did you notice where God's presence was as they marched around? As, as, as we talked about last week, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant didn't represent the presence of God. That is where the presence of God actually dwelt. And the Ark of the Covenant was carried in the middle of their marching formation. As they marched around the city, the Ark of the Covenant was in the middle of the people. See, God's power is with his presence. It's not about who God is for and who God is against. God's power is, is, is with his presence. And faith allows his presence to show up. See, the people of Israel, at this point in time, they had to hear and follow faith. And God called them, hear what I'm saying and follow me. At this point in time, what God is telling them to do, it's a little bit of Karate Kid. Now, the, the, the good, the 1980s Karate Kid, right? Wax on, wax off. Wax on, wax off. Daniel's son didn't have any clue on why he, and he rebelled, he even rebelled against wax on, wax off. But in the end, it turned out for his good that he did this. Marching around the city, We'll get back to that. But it was God's way of going, wax on, wax off. But the people, as a nation, they heard and they followed. And God's presence was among them. Look, this is the same thing that happens in Revelation. Revelation is written to a people who are, uh, were under intense persecution. And God is telling His people, look, you're going through persecution. You're going through difficulty. You're going through suffering right, right now. But I am going to fight for you 
and among you. My presence is right there with you. And in the end, all is going to be well. See, isn't that what we want of our fathers? Of fathers that will, that will fight for us and among us? That we have a father that will be right there with us, fighting our battles with us? This is what God is promising to His, to his children here. I will be with you through faith. I will be right there with you, fighting for you and among you. See, because God's power shows up in our weakness. This is the last thing that we're going to look at in this story. God's power shows up in our weakness. Guys, most of us have heard this story. Even if you're skeptical of this story, you've at least heard this story. Do not let knowing the end of the story uh, 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 jade you on how absolutely crazy the instructions were that God gave His people. Look, we, we, we've already said, as a nation, they had faith. But consider this. This is not like 30 people marching around the city. We're talking tens of thousands at one point in time, when they counted the people, there was 200,000 fighting men. This could be hundreds of thousands of men marching around the city. Don't you know at least one man heard these orders and, said, and, and, and at least thought in his mind, um, Joshua, have you lost your mind? Are you sure you heard from God here? Because um, I was expecting some sort of battle plan. Like, this is how we're going to storm the gates. This is how we're going to rampart over the wall. This is how we're going to charge right in and smash them right in the mouth. But instead, we're going to march around the city 13 times? Are you crazy? And then at the end of all of this, we're just going to simply shout at the wall? Don't you know that somebody, as they took that deep breath to start to shout, somebody in their mind said, I hope this works. Because if we shout and that wall doesn't come down, we're going to look pretty bad here. We're going to look pretty foolish. We're going to be completely and utterly wiped out at this time. Yes, as a nation, they had faith. But don't you know that somebody in the midst of thousands upon thousands of people had those thoughts going through their mind? God's power shows up in our weakness. And as God told them, wax on, wax off, march around the city and scream at the wall when you're done. That looked like a pretty weak battle plan. But God's power shows up in our weakness. See, some of you right now may be saying, look, this is all great and all, but are you really wanting me to buy hook, line, and sinker that God supernaturally like tore down these walls? 
if you have faith in that, that God supernaturally tore down those walls, yes, I want you to have faith in that. But if you struggle with the thought that that could occur, I want to perhaps introduce two different types of miracles to you. Now, you already know these two different types of miracles, but maybe, maybe sometimes we need to see the second type of miracle a little bit more often. See, there's supernatural miracles where God suspends the laws of nature in order to make a miracle happen. No doubt about it, Jesus walking on water, supernatural miracle, correct? But there's also natural miracles. That there is no um, uh, a natural law suspended to make the miracle happen, but God simply aligns several natural laws at the same time in order to make a miracle happen. So consider this with me. Just, just consider this possibility. I remember in social studies class, I remember uh, uh, my teacher saying when, when, when armies uh, got to bridges, they had to cease marching formation. Why? Because there are armies that learn the hard way. When, 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 when armies would march across a bridge in marching formation, in the syncopation of all the marching, what would happen? The vibrations would weaken the bridge and the bridge would collapse. Let me throw this out there. If we're talking hundreds of thousands of people marching around a city 13 total times, seven times on Sunday. I don't know if it's Sunday, but it works with the sentence. Seven times on Sunday. Could that not weaken the foundation? And that hundreds of thousands of people, let me put it this way. Some of you have gone to see a, a, a football game at Arrowhead Stadium. Maybe you've been somewhere else with mass gathering of people. 70,000 people all screaming at the same time. What does that feel like? Times that by three. Could it be possible that wax on, wax off? They all marched around the city, weakening the foundation, and the screens acted like a, an earthquake. Vibrations that brought the walls down. Look, I'm, I'm not saying it, telling you what to believe. I'm not telling you not to believe in, in the supernatural here. All I'm saying is, this could very well be a natural miracle, and that doesn't make it any less of a miracle. God's power shows up in our weakness. A guy by the name of Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He started off persecuting and killing Christians. He ended up talking about how God's power shows up in our weakness. And this is one thing we have a hard time really getting our minds around and our hearts around and our actions around because we think that God shows up in our strength. He shows up in our weakness. And it's really hard. It's really hard to actually act in line with this. But God did the same thing for His people. He showed up in what looked like an extremely weak battle plan. He showed up in the most powerful way possible, allowing his people to take over the city of Jericho. Now, 
all the questions, all the skepticism, everything aside. Flannel boards, if, if you were a wee little tyke and saw this on a flannel board, all of this aside, this is what God's trying to say. He's a good, good father. And he's using his power in two different ways in the story. First of all, he's using his power to fight for and among his people. We've specifically said that already, but imagine this again. Isn't that all a child wants? No matter if you had a father that did that or a father that didn't do that, the desire in our heart for a father like that is put there by God because he is like that. He is a father that will fight for his children and among his children. And through faith, we become a child of God. And we have a, we, we have a Bible uh, a scripture in the study plan uh, uh, talking about adoption by God. But also, he is using his power to adopt new children. We see that in the story of Rahab and her family of how, of how she was completely adopted into the family of God, into the people of God. And, and so much so, she became the great, great grandmother of the famous King David and was in the lineage of Jesus himself. Isn't that a good, good father who fights for and among his children? and who adopts new children, and both of them happen through faith. I want to ask you this question. Do you want a father like this? Do you want a father like this? Who will fight for you and among you, and who always adopts new children into his family? You can commit to Him this morning. Commit to hear and follow. You don't have to have all your questions answered. You just simply say, I've sinned against you, but I want you as my Father. And I want you to forgive me and adopt me. And those of you that have that settled, consider God this morning as your good, good Father. And you're about ready to worship this good, good Father right now who will fight for you, among you, and will adopt, always, always, always adopt new children. That's how he uses his power.